I warned you. And they're coming back. Today we're talking about learning who I am in Christ. Uh, the phrase in Christ is used about 140 times in the Bible. It, has, it is my favorite phrase in the whole Bible. Uh, when I uh, finally began to grasp what it means to be in Christ, uh, it changed my life. Uh, in fact, I sign all my letters, all my emails, uh, my Christmas cards, I sign them in Christ because it means so much to me. And I'm going to share with that with you today what it means. Uh, the word Christian is used only twice in the Bible. Uh, it, it, it's the phrase in Christ that the Bible uses to describe someone who's a believer, someone who's in the family of God, a disciple. And out of the 140 times that it's used, about 35 of those times in the Bible, when, when God says in, that we are in Christ, it specifically deals with our identity, who we truly are, the real you. Now, Peter, a disciple of Christ, Peter wrote two books of the Bible. They're called First and Second Peter. And in First uh, Peter 2, he gives us five fingerprints of your identity. He's telling us who you are in Christ. So let's look at this. On the screen, in your notes, get your notes out today, folks. You're going to want notes on this one. It says, you are, that's your identity. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people. In other words, you didn't have an identity. But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I want you to circle five things in those verses on your outline. First, you're chosen. Circle a chosen people. Two, you're a royal priesthood. Circle that. Three, you are a holy nation. Circle the word holy. Four, you are a people belonging to God. Circle that. And finally, he says, you have received mercy. So here's the first thing that's true about you in Christ. Number one, I am completely accepted. I am completely accepted. And that is vital for you to know because all of us have been rejected. Some of the deepest wounds in our lives come from rejection. And you have been rejected by a parent. You've been rejected by a friend. You've been rejected by a lover. The deepest wounds in our lives come from our rejection. And often we try to salve the wound of rejection by finding acceptance. We try to find acceptance from, from parents, from friends, from co-workers. And the pursuit of acceptance starts to influence every part of our lives. The desire to be a, accepted affects the way you dress, the clothes that you wear, the car that you drive, the house you buy, the career that you choose. What you do is, can be driven by acceptance. And you know, I look back to when I was a kid and at the things I did to earn acceptance. You know the old saying, if your friend jumped off a bridge, would you jump off it too? I did. Maybe you did too, because I wanted acceptance. I did crazy, stupid things in order to gain acceptance. War, crazy, stupid things. Grew up in the 70s. But the pain of, of, not, of being rejected, the pain of not being chosen is so great. We all know the pain of the playground. 
you know, standing there hoping somebody would choose you for their team, at least next to last. Please, God, just not last. I've been last, and you still feel the hurt. You know, we all know the pain of a harsh word from a parent. We all know the sting of, uh, of criticism from a teacher or a coach, the broken heart of rejection that comes from someone we thought loved us. But the flip side to rejection, being chosen, being chosen is good. Being chosen makes you feel good. When somebody picks you out, somebody to love you, or you're chosen for a promotion at work, or just some recognition or award, and I've got good news for you. You don't have to chase after acceptance from other people because God gives it to you. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You have been chosen by God himself. That's the truth about your identity. You know, I, I don't care if you feel it or not. In Christ, you have been chosen by God. That's the truth about you. It's your fingerprint, your identity. Now, how do I know this? Well, first, because God chose me before everything. God chose you. Ephesians 1, 4. Let's read this out loud together. He chose us in Him, that's Christ, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight by His love. Before God spread the galaxies out in the universe, He chose you. Before God created the earth and all that's in it, He chose you. Before everything else, God chose you. He didn't wait for you to show up to see if you were acceptable. Before he did anything else, in Christ, God chose you. That's how acceptable you are. Another way I know God accepts me is because Jesus has made me acceptable. Titus 3.7, Jesus treated us much better than we deserve. He made us acceptable to God. And he gave us the hope of eternal life. In that verse, circle the words, made us and gave us, because that's where our acceptance comes from. If you're trying to earn acceptance from God, like you try to earn acceptance from other people, by chasing after it, by, by trying to earn it, you're wasting your effort. Christ made us acceptable. Stop trying to perform your way into acceptance, because you're working to receive something that God has already given you. How crazy is that? God's acceptance is not based on your performance. It's a gift. That's where your identity in Christ starts, realizing I am completely acceptable to God. Second fingerprint. I am extremely valuable. God says, I don't just accept you. You're not just acceptable. You are valuable. You are, in fact, priceless. Peter says, you are a holy nation and a people belonging to God. Circle holy and belonging. We need to get both those concepts. What's it mean to be holy? What's it mean to belong to God? First, what does holy mean? When we talk about you being holy, when we talk about the holy Bible, the holy city, the holy land, the holy sepulcher, the holy of holies, we are saying that those things are extremely valuable. Those things are extremely, uh, have extreme worth. And God says, you are holy. You are valuable. Now, what makes something valuable? Well, the first thing that makes something valuable is who owns it. Who does it belong to? Because things that are owned by famous or important people have more value than things owned by average people, 
ordinary people. Let me illustrate this. If you have a car that you want to sell, if you uh, put your car up for sale in the Cass Gazette, and right next to your ad for, for your car is an ad for Lady Gaga's car. Because we all know if Lady Gaga were to sell her car, she would list it in the Cass Gazette. Okay? Okay. People will pay more money for Lady Gaga's car than they will for your car. I don't care what kind of car it is. Because ownership adds value. Ownership adds value. So the question is, who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? In Christ, you belong to the God of the universe. In Christ, you belong to the King of Kings. In Christ, you are holy. You belong to the people of God. Deuteronomy 7, 6, you are a people holy to the Lord your God, His treasured possession. Do you know that when God looks at you, He sees you as His treasured possession. God says, you are precious to me. Nobody values you more than God does. Nobody. You are holy and you're extremely valuable. Well, why? Because God is my Father. Because God is my Father. If I place my trust in Christ, I become a child of God, and so do you. That's how it works. Everybody's created by God, but not everybody is a child of God. Got to understand that. Everybody's created by God. Everybody is loved by God. But not everybody is a child of God because some people choose not to be. Some people choose not to believe in Christ. Some people choose not to be in God's family. Some people say, I don't want to do that. I want to go my own way. But if I believe in Christ, then God is my Father and I am family. And as family, I own part of the family inheritance. And, and God, one day in heaven, God is going to share all his glory with his children. God is going to share everything he has with his children. And in fact, right now, here on earth, God, as my Father, takes care of all my needs. Jesus says, look at the birds. God feeds them, and you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Underline that phrase far more valuable to him than any birds. You know, birds don't do a whole lot except chirp and poop. God feeds them. God takes care of the birds. And you are far more valuable to him than them. Second reason why I'm extremely valuable is because Jesus gave his life for me. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7.23, You have been bought and paid for by Christ. So you belong to him. There's that idea of ownership. I belong to Christ. He, and he paid for me with his blood. Paid for you. Because another thing that demonstrates value is what someone is willing to pay for it. That's what determines value. Who owns it and what someone else is willing to pay for it. You know, how much is your house worth? How much is your car worth? How much is your stuff worth? I can tell you exactly how much it's worth. It's worth whatever anyone else is willing to pay for it. may not be worth what you think it's worth. It's worth what someone else is willing to pay for it. You know, if I hold up a, an old Honus Wagner baseball card, you know, it's the most ex expensive baseball card on the planet, how much is it worth? 
it's worth whatever someone is willing to pay for it. If I hold up a Picasso, how much is a Picasso worth? It's only worth what someone is willing to pay for it. Doesn't matter what the, uh, the appraiser says, what the auctioneer says, it's worth what someone is willing to pay for it. How much are you worth? You want to know how much you're worth? Look at the cross. Look at the cross. Jesus Christ stretched out his arms on the cross and said, this is what you're worth. I would rather die than live without you. You want to know your value? Look at the cross and you'll see. That, you know, those people who told you growing up that you're not worth anything, those people told you, you know, you'll never amount to anything, they were wrong. In fact, they were lying. You have tremendous value because in Christ you are valuable to God. In Christ, you belong to the Father. In Christ, Jesus Christ paid for you. God paid the greatest ransom for you that was ever paid when he sent his son to die for you on the cross. That makes you valuable, priceless. Somebody say amen. amen. Third fingerprint, I am eternally loved. Peter says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You know, in our human way, we can uh, be ashamed of our families. You know, we've got these crazy uncles and strange aunts and brothers and sisters, parents, kids. We, we can often be ashamed of family. But God is not ashamed of his family. Hebrews 2.11, Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. And that is why Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother his sister. That, that's the kind of love that God has for you. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. Two characteristics of God's love that you've got to remember, because if you forget them, other people will steal your identity. If you forget these two things about God's love, you will, you will live according to your performance. And so you've got to remember these. First, God's love is unconditional. It's not, I love you if you pray. Not, I love you if you do good. Not, I love you if you please me. Not, I love you because you're a nice person. Not, I love you because you go to church. Not if, not because. God says, I love you, period. In fact, God says, I love you in spite of you. You know, I love you if I love you because, if I love you if, that's conditional. If I love you because you're beautiful, that's conditional love. And, and beauty fades. <laughs> you know, I love you because you meet my needs. What if they can't meet your needs anymore? Do you stop loving them? I love you because you do all these great things for me. Folks, that's not love, that's selfishness. God says, no, 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 I don't love you like that. God says, I love you, period. I love you in spite of yourself. I love you regardless of what you do. My love is unconditional. Second thing about God's love, it is consistent. It is unending. It is everlasting. God is not fickle. God is not unpredictable. God doesn't have a bad hair day or wake up on the wrong side of the bed. You know, many of us grew up with a parent or father who was unpredictable. You just never knew. Are they going to hug you or slug you, poke you, stroke you? Are they going to be mad, sad, glad? What's this encounter going to be like? And unstable parents create unstable children. God's not like that. 
God says, my love for you is consistent. It's unending. It's everlasting. It's unfailing. Because God's love is not based on you. God's love is based on him, who he is. So why am I loved eternally? Because God is love. You know, the only reason love is in the universe is because the creator of the universe is love. If God were not a loving God, you would be incapable of love. There would be no love in the universe. It all comes from our creator. You take God out of the picture, there's no love. Because God is love. Psalm 105 says God's love is eternal and his faithfulness lasts forever. You may be unfaithful to him, his faithfulness lasts forever. Because God is love. Fourth fingerprint, I am totally forgiven. 1 Peter 2.10 At one time you did not know God's mercy, but now you have received his mercy. God's mercy has given us God's forgiveness, and God's forgiveness is total. It's complete. Because God knows everything. God knows everything. So his forgiveness has to be total. He can't partially forgive. He, he totally forgives. God knows the worst thing you've ever done in your life. God knows the worst thing you will ever do in your life. And he has decided in Christ to forgive you already. In Christ, you're already forgiven. Now you and I might be surprised at our sins sometimes. God is never surprised. He knows in advance every wrong thing, every bad thing you and I are going to do, and he's chosen to totally forgive us. Now, we have a hard time wrapping our minds around that. I've got to tell you, even as I'm preaching this, I'm just, I'm, it's just a struggle for me. Because as humans, that's not how we forgive. You know, as humans, we don't really forgive. We just sort of reserve judgment till later. We just sort of put it in the gunny sack and hold on to it in case we need it. That's not what God does. When God forgives, he totally forgives. How do I know that? For the Bible tells me so. That's how. Romans 8.1 There is now no condemnation for those who are, say it with me, in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. There is total forgiveness. God doesn't carry around judgment like a grudge in our lives. God doesn't rehearse your sin over and over in his mind. God releases it. He forgives it. That's what a loving God he is. And if you thought something, said something, did something that you never thought you would think, say, or do, and you just wonder, man, I wonder if God can forgive me. The answer is yes. Yes, he can. In Christ, he's already forgiven you. Don't start thinking with how judged and condemned you are. Start with realizing how forgiven you are. Now, how do I know I'm totally forgiven? Because it's in God's nature to forgive. It is God's nature to forgive. Isaiah 43, 25. I am the God who forgives your sin, and I do this because of who I am. I will not hold your sin against you. It's just in God's nature to forgive. It's who he is. And notice, this is in the Old Testament. You know, there's this idea that kind of the God of the Old Testament was sort of this uh, grumpy, angry, judgmental, hard God, and then Jesus showed up and warmed everything up. 
No. Uh, do a study of God in the Old Testament. How God in the Old Testament forgave and forgave and forgave. He's always been a forgiving God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all three of them, they are forgiving. It's God's nature to forgive you. Second reason I know I'm totally forgiven. Because Jesus paid for my sins. I'm not forgiven on the basis of my performance. Not forgiven on the basis of what I've done. I'm forgiven on the basis of Jesus Christ shed blood and the grace of God. That, that's why. Ephesians 1 7. For by the blood of Christ we are set free. That is, our sins are forgiven. How great is the grace of God. It's part of my identity, part of who I am in Christ. See why I'm so excited about this in Christ thing? Because in Christ, I'm forgiven. In Christ, you are forgiven. Completely, totally. Number five, fifth fingerprint in Christ. I am fully capable. 1 Peter 2.9 You are royal priest chosen to tell about the wonderful acts of God who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. In Christ, you are a priest. Who? Me? Yeah, you in Christ, you are a priest. If you've placed your trust in Christ, if you're a member of the family of God, if you're born again, if you're a child of God, you're in the family, you're also a priest. Now, what does a priest do? Well, a priest does two things. A priest represents man to God, and a priest represents God to man. That's, that's his job. Now, what are you supposed to do as a priest? Acts 26, 18 tells us. It says, you are to open their eyes. That's your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, the people you do life with. You are to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to the light, from the power of Satan to God, so that through their faith in me, that's Christ, so that through their faith in Christ, they will have their sins forgiven and also, like you, receive their place among God's chosen people. That's the role of a priest. God says, that's my job. That's your job. In Christ, this is what we are to do. We're to tell other people what it means to be in Christ. We're to tell other people they can be accepted, forgiven, loved, valuable, capable. In Christ, these things happen to you. You tell her, these things can happen to you too. Part of your identity, part of your job as a priest is to do that. Why? Because there aren't enough professional pastors, there aren't enough professional priests to get the job done. And besides, God never intended for us to do it anyway. He intended for us to do it. You know, the Great Commission was given to everybody. All of us have a responsibility to fulfill the mission He gave. God has a life mission for you, a calling for you, a service for you to perform. You're to be a where you work. You're to be a priest at school. You're to be a priest at that restaurant where you eat. You're to be a priest with everybody around you. You represent God to them. You represent them to God. If you're in Christ, you're a priest. And God says, you are fully capable. You are fully competent, fully qualified. Now, a lot of times we don't feel that way. We don't feel very competent, very capable. We often feel overwhelmed by life. But who are you going to believe? God or your feelings? Because your feelings will lie to you. And God always tells you the truth. And God says, in Christ, you can do this. 
God says you're fully capable to handle anything that life brings your way. You are fully capable to share the good news with other people. Say, oh, I can't do that. Well, you're right. You can't. Not on your own. But in Christ, you can. You're supposed to do it in Christ. That's how he gives you the power to do the things you could never do on your own. 2 Corinthians 3, 5 and 6. The capacity that we have comes from myself? No. The capacity that we have comes from God. It is he who makes us capable of serving the new covenant. You may say, oh, I I could never serve in the church. You calling God a liar? He made you capable of serving. Ah, God doesn't have any big plan. God has a mission. God has a plan. God has a purpose for your life that he wants you to fulfill. And he has made you capable of fulfilling it. But most people don't feel capable. They don't. You know, my guess is you don't, and my guess is the people sitting on either side of you don't either. We just don't feel competent to do the things that God wants us to do. Why do we not feel capable, confident, able to take on life? Because we listen to the wrong voices. We listen to the wrong voices. We listen to that critical parent. We listen to that cranky teacher. We listen to our peers. We listen to the culture, to the media, to to society. We listen to what Satan says. We listen to ourselves. The only one we don't believe is God. We believe what everybody else says about us, but we don't believe what God says because God says that I am accepted, I am loved, I am forgiven, I am valuable, and I am capable. Fully capable to do what God wants you to do in your life. Why am I capable? Because Christ lives in me. Philippians 4.13 I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can. I can do. I can do everything through Christ who gives me the strength. You know, I can do everything through Christ. Whatever God allows to come into my life, whatever the world throws at me, I am fully competent, I am fully capable to handle whatever comes my way because I am in Christ and Christ is in me. That makes all the difference. Now, studies show that the younger you were when you experienced your first rejection, the more painful and the greater impact it had on your life. You know, we all experience rejection. We all experience rejection all the way through our life. And the older you get, rejection doesn't hurt it as much. Because the older you get, the wiser you get. Hopefully. And so the older you get and the more rejection you experience, you begin to realize, I don't need other people's approval in order for me to be happy. You just eventually learn that in life. But the rejections that you experience when you are a child, the rejection in those younger years, the more rejection you experience in the early years, the greater the impact on your life. And so, you know, you may be an old guy like me, and you're sitting here, and and you can hear those voices coming, and they just play over and over again. You know, you're, you're a kid, and somebody says, you'll never amount to anything. You're a kid, and somebody says, you know, why does everything you touch break? You'll never find anybody who'd want to marry you. You know, why can't you be more like your sister? Why can't you get better grades? 
Why can't you be prettier? Why can't you be on and on and on it goes? And in a sense, those people who said those things to you, they cursed you. They cursed you. Truth is, most of them did it out of their own rejection and their own hurt, not out of malice. They just had their own wounds they were dealing with. But they cursed you because you start believing it. And you start saying, you know, you're right, I'm uncoordinated. You're right, I'll probably never get married. You're right, uh, I'm not smart. You're right, I'll not amount to anything. And you live out the curse. How do you reverse a curse? How do you stop all that false identity baloney and get back to your true identity? How do you reverse a curse? The answer is you start believing what God says about you. You start believing what God says about you. You start believing the truth. You stop believing the lies. You unleash the power of the Word of God in your life. You know, I, I want to encourage you. This is your homework for this week. I want to encourage you to take this outline with you and just fold it up, stick it in your pocket, and carry it with you. And just start telling yourself these truths over and over and over again. Because honestly, folks, hearing them one time here today isn't going to do the trick. Because you're going to walk out of here before you hit the stop sign down at the end of the street. Those old tapes, those old voices are going to be coming in. And here they come. And that rejection and that fear and that uncertainty and that, that feeling of incompetence and being un, unable to function is going to settle in. And you've got to beat it back. You've got to fight it back with the Word of God. And I'd encourage you to carry that outline with you. And when those tapes start playing, just speak into your life the truth of the Word of God. And you will see your life turn toward light instead of darkness. You will see yourself turning toward the power of God from the power of Satan. And you will see who you are in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that the pain of rejection can, can be erased, that the, the curse can be reversed as we see ourselves in Christ. God, help us to realize that our past, our sin, is not our identity. Help us to see that our success is not our identity. Our identity is found in Christ. I'd invite you just to pray. In quietness of your own heart and mind, would you just say, Dear God, help me to see myself the way you see me. God, thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die for me, to pay for me so that I could belong to you, so that I could be in Christ. And Jesus, today I accept your love and forgiveness. I accept your gift of eternal life. And I want to learn to trust and follow you. I want to learn to do all things through your strength. And right now, with our heads bowed, would you just repeat these truths after me? Would you just say them aloud? Say them aloud with meaning as your affirmation prayer to God. Just follow me and say this aloud. Because of Jesus, because of Jesus I am completely accepted. I am extremely valuable. I am eternally loved. I am completely forgiven. I am fully capable. Because I am in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.